What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. Today we are talking with Des Fafara, founding member and vocalist of the heavy metal band Devil Driver. Des has been making music with Devil Driver for almost two decades, and their new album, Dealing with Demons 1, was just released. Now, at Hardcore Humanism, what we want to do is help you identify your purpose in life and work hard to achieve it. And that purpose-driven path is going to be different for everyone. But generally speaking, that path tends to follow certain steps. Usually, we are faced with barriers to finding our purpose in life. Maybe it's people telling us our dreams can't be achieved. Maybe it's a physical or mental health issue that makes it harder for us to understand and achieve our purpose. Or maybe we know what we want, but we're just not sure of the steps we need to take to get there. So on the Hardcore Humanism podcast, our goal is to talk with people who have broken through barriers to understand and achieve their purpose. And we're hoping by listening to these conversations, you'll find inspiration to find your own purpose-driven path and even learn some lessons you can apply in your own life. Now, one way we can break through barriers to achieve our purpose is by recognizing that some things, maybe events that have occurred, the way we feel, or the way we think, can have both functional and dysfunctional aspects. Unfortunately, we as a society tend to label things in an all-or-nothing way, which can limit us in terms of how we understand ourselves and mobilize to achieve our goals. So in talking with Des, one of the things that we were most curious about was a comment he had made to the press previously about the concept of volatility. Now, many people assume that volatility is only a harmful thing. It makes us unstable or unpredictable, which may in fact interfere with our achieving our purpose. And Des has talked about how the volatility of the world has affected him and how he deals with his own volatility, which expresses itself in ADHD and anxiety. But Des also talks about another approach to volatility, one in which it can be a dynamic force that drives creativity and hard work. And his willingness to accept and understand his own volatility has been part of what has driven him to personal and professional success. So let's hear what Des has to say. Des, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, so I am coming at you from the Mecca of Maplewood, New Jersey, and Des, you are coming from California, correct? I am. I'm about an hour and a half outside of L.A. All right. That gives us a little, little cultural context to uh, the conversation. So let's just dive right in with some of the things that you've been talking about with your new album. One of the quotes that you made that I thought was so interesting was on talking about the fundamental volatility of humans, which I think is a really interesting concept. And let's, let's just start there with what you meant by that and what your thoughts are on that idea. Well, the herd mentality is something that's always given people a run for their money. And I've never been a herd mentality kind of guy. So we look at what's going on around the country now, and we see kind of that what volatility is in actual humans and where it can be taken to its farthest extremes when it comes to society and what society will put up with and what we won't. So Dealing with Demons, a new record, deals with all sorts of those things, not only societies, what I think are ills and demons, but also the things that I've suffered in my life or I go through in my life. So, you know, discussing that one term there, volatility, I think we've seen it now. We've seen how volatile it can be, and I think it can get a whole lot more volatile if people don't get a, a handle on themselves and start putting themselves in constraints as far as society goes, you know? So we'll see where it goes. In talking about your own demons that you've suffered with, and, and obviously a lot of people 
construe their own demons as a sense of volatility, you know? And so I'm guess kind of curious, how has that manifested for you? And when did you notice that you had those demons? Well, the first track on the record is actually keep away from me. And although the video has some pandemic footage, you know, basically saying, yeah, we all need to social distance. I've been social distancing my whole life. I've had a problem my whole life with being around groups of people from my youngest times in elementary school where I would act out in a classroom of 20 or 30, 40 kids. I was also the kid that came home and it's like, no, I don't want to play with Johnny. I want to play with Legos in my room. I don't, I don't do well. And, you know, some would probably say that over almost 30 years in the music industry, I may have chosen the wrong profession as well because, you know, I'm constantly having to be around people, go to meet and greets, those kind of things. But I'm not the guy that's going to go to the Grammy Awards party, even though I'm invited. I'm not the guy that's going to go to the opening of such and such because I don't feel comfortable. I've, I've always felt that. And I know there's a lot of people that can identify with that. And what I hear from people is, oh yeah, I don't like humanity either. It's not that I don't like humanity. It's that I don't really want to be around them. I feel more comfortable in my own shoes around very close friends or my family, just because I know what the volatility of humans is. And in my position of what I do in life as well, it's, you got to watch your back a little when you're around, you know, a huge, a huge crowd of people. Now, let me make a distinction because what you've talked about in the past, at least from what I've read, is that you felt like that was agoraphobia. Now, some people would describe what you're saying as introversion, which is just the simple idea that being around people is draining and being more on my own or only around close people is more energizing. Do you feel like it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be either or, do you feel like it's more introversion or you feel like it's more agoraphobia where there's a fear of crowds? I don't know to put my finger on it, even at my age, my hands will sweat and I'll leave. I'll just walk away. So I don't know if that's complete blown out agoraphobia or just the fact that I just feel like that narfed out kid who just doesn't know what to say, doesn't feel I ever belonged to anything in my life ever. And I don't, I don't really want to deal with this social situation of 20, 30 people. And I don't know what to say. I don't know how to interject myself into the conversation. I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't certainly don't want to say anything to try to be cool. I mean, it's just always been a very strange situation with me when it comes to being around other people. And in that same token, I haven't seen anybody but my family or my wife since August of last year when I came off tour and this whole pandemic and everything really started to, to form up over the Christmas holiday of last year. I haven't seen anybody but my family, not my band, not anyone. And keep in mind, I, I manage a lot of bands. I have several businesses I run. It's just a situation I do better by myself or with my close family. Yeah, you know, it definitely what you're describing in terms of the sweating and the fear sounds like agoraphobia. It obviously, some people again have both where it starts with just this preference and it gets overwhelming to be around people. But I'm kind of curious when, if you're okay with talking about it, when sure. you're having those more of that fear, what kind of thoughts are going through your head? Like, you know, are you worried about something specific happening or are you more just feeling well, so like let's, let's, let's take something, for instance, that I actually like to do only because it's overwhelmingly positive is like a meet and greets. So we'll do shows. We'll have a meet and greet. could be anywhere from 30 to 120 people. You come in the room, you're walking around, you're shaking hands, you're talking. But at a certain point in time, maybe six, seven minutes in, I feel like, am I saying the right thing? Who is this person? I don't know them. Okay. Now they're asking me too many personal questions. Okay. I want to leave. So my instinct is to say, 
I got to go to the bathroom or go get something to drink or whatever. And I just split, which I, you can't do. And I don't do, but those are my inclinations. My first inclination when I'm walking in is, Oh God. Okay. Just share of yourself, which I do. I, you know, I'm probably one of the most private people in the business, but I'm also most open. If you're sitting with me, I'm going to talk very matter of fact with you. And my instinct is to leave immediately. And so I don't know what that is. And I've never been able to put my finger on that since I was a kid, but I know there's, you know, a myriad of people probably listening to this that that can relate to that. So I've never tried to really break it down on what it is. But what I'm feeling immediately is I want to I want to get out of here. I don't like small talk, first of all, at all. I can't stand it, as a matter of fact. So that part and parcel that will that will play into it as soon as the small talk starts happening or someone will say like, you know, hey, how's your dogs? And then I get weirded out and I forget. Well, I'm on Instagram. I'm a public person. I share my dogs, my family, my whatever. But they're asking me about my my dogs or my wife. And I'm like, man, you don't even know me. I feel weird talking to you. It's just it's a very strange situation when I'm when I'm around strangers. Yeah. Yeah, and I apologize because I, I just launched you into one of those situations right now. Oh, but here. that's okay because I'm not in a room with 20, 30 people crowding around me, patting me on the back or whatever, or, you know, it's just not a it's, a, it's a different situation when I'm on a podcast. I'm terribly introverted, that's for sure. Am I agoraphobic? I guess that's what we're trying to get down to. Yes, most likely I am. Will I ever beat that? I don't, I don't really think so, especially not where I'm at in my age and everything else. Well, you know, that it brings up the question of when you said you push through it. I mean, what do you do when you, again, you go to the bathroom, you leave for a second to not just run for the hills? I have found the best thing that works for me in those positions is to be completely honest. Don't say anything that you think people want to hear. Don't say anything to be cool. Don't say anything to trigger anyone. Be completely just honest, you know, and I come from a very blue collar working class background. So it's no problem for me to that. I've never, I've never actually changed that about myself. So I can walk right in and just be like, you know, Hey, what's up? And just be very honest and start speaking to people. Hey, how was your lunch? You know, what do you like about the band? Oh, you, you like my dog? You saw my dog on Instagram? You got a dog? Cool. What, what kind of dog? How long have you had that dog? And just, it's almost an exercise for me, those meet and greets, to try to work on what I've been trying to work on my whole life, which is having conversations with people out of a business context or from me from the stage to the crowd. And it, those instances often, I'll come walking away with a really strong, great feeling. Like, what a great day. I had a great day. And I don't know why I feel good the whole day before the show, but it's actually because I met 20, 30, 100 people that maybe I do have more in common with than I thought I did. And, and it helps me to kind of beat that, that phobia that I go through. Yeah, and it's interesting because one of the things that you're saying, and, and I encourage a lot of the people that I work with you know, to do this kind of a thing, is that oftentimes when, when we feel agoraphobic, I know when this happens for me, is that I'm kind of worried that, like in sports terms, I'm letting them take it to me. You know, I'm like, I'm kind of on my heels instead of on my toes. And, right. and so I'm kind of like, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to do. And what I encourage people to do a lot of times is say, well, what's your agenda? You know, what are you interested in talking about? And, and I feel like when I hear what you described, I feel like that's what you're doing is you're saying like, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and wait for you to ask me a bunch of questions like an animal in a zoo or a circus or something like that. I'm going to go and start talking about what I want to talk about. It's a perfect chance for me to engage people on a level that we're both, hopefully they can get the point that I'm not just some singer guy in their head and I could become a normal human being in their eyes, right? Which is the first part you try to do. But for me, it's all about just, okay, can we engage each other on a, on a down 
situation where we're all just having conversations. And it, and it does. It ends up to be, you know, half an hour into those meet and greets. It's amazing. I couldn't be one of those bands that sits there behind a table. The people walk by, you shake their hand, you say hello, you sign their thing, and they're out. I wanted them to be more personal so I could meet them, they could meet me. And it's actually been the highlight of tours for me because those are moments I can go into that I feel a little bit empowered about when I come out of. Now, just, just I'm kind of curious because when you're talking about this, like again, if I, and I hope people listening, you know, take this to heart, that to me is beating agoraphobia. So I'm, I'm kind of curious now that you're saying you don't think you'll ever beat it when I feel like what you're describing now is exactly what someone needs to do. And it sounds like you're doing it and it's working. Yeah, but I'll still have a pit in my stomach and my hands will be sweating. So when that stops, I've beat it. And another thing I did is, as well as I, I started Personal Positive Thoughts with Des on Instagram, which has almost 10,000 followers. And I've got a psychiatrist working with me on there because I couldn't answer questions about suicide questions and this and that because I felt like, okay, a dialogue needs to start happening, not only from the people within our metal scene, but myself. I need to start having dialogue with people because I, I wake up, I run, I take my dogs out, I go in the office, I work from 5 a.m. till 10 o'clock at night, or I'm on tour, I'm on a tour bus. I'm never really around groups of people. And I started trying to usher that into my life to try to, I guess, beat it. But as long as my hands still sweat or I still have a pit in my stomach when I go in those crowded moments or someone says to me, you know, will you come to the Grammy Awards party and my wife buys a dress and I tell her we're going and she knows damn well two hours before we go, I'm going to get out of the shower and say I'd rather stay home and watch Star Wars or whatever, right? She knows it's coming. I haven't beat that yet. Mm. And I say to people, if you want to invite me somewhere, just know I'll probably say yes, but last minute I'm going to give you a bullshit excuse that I can't come. Yeah. So you feel like you still avoid those circumstances. Although I just want to say for the listeners that watching Star Wars is always a good alternative <laughs> to anything that you're doing. I don't want to make it seem like that's not acceptable. Right. I mean, look, and then something happened with me, within me too, when, when Dimebag Daryl, when Dime got shot on stage, because he was probably the nicest guy in the whole music scene, period, would do anything for anybody. And to have that happen to that guy, then also something happened to me. And a lot of us actually in the scene where there's a lot of more security, there's a lot more going on now, we have to watch our backs and that didn't help as well. So you don't know if you're going to go into a situation, even into a meet and greet, where someone's there to actually take a knife out. They may have paid the meet and greet just to get to you. You have no idea now. And that's the, again, let's, let's digress. That's the volatility of humans. And that is a fear factor. I mean, it's why there's been more guns sold in the United States in the last two months than, you know, the last three years is because the fear factor of humans, the volatility of humans. I guess I have always felt that since I was a kid. And that's maybe just because the way I was raised, I, you know, I heard parents fighting and this and that. And, you know, I just, I was raised in a different maybe circumstance than other people. Do I think I'll ever beat it? I don't know. Do I try to do things to try to, to try to beat it? And yes, I do. Yeah. And it's interesting, this thing you're saying about Dimebag Daryl, because, you know, I, I don't think that a lot of people recognize all the different aspects of volatility that go into being a musician. I mean, just, just the performance alone. And most people don't recognize that type of fear, you know, but it's, and Dimebag Daryl is not the first person to, to be hurt. I mean, obviously being killed, he was very prominent, but it's not like that's a one-shot deal. I mean, there's been tons of examples of people at concerts, whether on stage or in the crowd, somehow being hurt. And, and you guys have to go on with all of that knowledge. And if you know Devil Driver, you know we're a very volatile band. 
and the hits and the scene is insane inside those clubs. And I was always the one, hey, climb over the security guard, climb over the gate, get on the stage and jump off. I come from a punk rock, I'm a punk rock gothic kid that found metal because it had volatility and I fell in love with it, right? Because I found Motorhead. And now I find myself, instead of going, come on up on the stage and jump off, let's get insane together, I find myself side-eyeing the guy trying to make his way to the stage. And then as soon as he gets a foot close to me and all he wants to do is put his arms around me or grab the mic with me and sing, which I used to encourage for 20 plus years, I straight arm him because I don't know what he's going to do or, or a security guard tackles him before he can even get to me. So it's become a weird, a weird thing. And then meet and greet stopped a lot. A lot of bands stopped that completely when that happened. And we didn't. We kept having them, and but I felt my myself side eyeing the you know the guy on the outside of the group that's not saying anything. There's 30 people in this room. He hasn't even approached me. He paid for a meet and greet. He's not approaching anybody. Is he, is it just because he's narfed out and he doesn't and he doesn't know what to say to us and he's just sitting back and just wants to take a picture later, or is he planning something right now in his head? Is he trying to gather? some fucking balls to come attack one of us like you don't know again i digress the volatility of humans you know we're one of the only species on this planet that actually like attacks and kills its own they've seen it in in baboons in great chimps and stuff like that where they they will attack and try to kill but we are the odd people out on the planet we don't belong here and so if we don't start trying to learn how to get along this is going to be all hell's going to break loose just like it has in, in, in so many, so many times in centuries before. So I have felt that since I was a kid, that makes me narf out in public and I'm trying to get through that even now. Yeah, no. And it's, it's so tough because I think one of the biggest things that people in metal have often faced is there's the stereotype of people in metal, you know, as being rageful and violent and, and sociopathic and mentally ill. And then the research that shows that oftentimes people who are into metal, whether they're playing it or they're listening to it, are just kind of quiet, thoughtful outsiders. And, you know, what you're describing is like how terrible it is to now have to question if that guy who is just maybe sitting there and, you know, he's relaxing, kind of taking it all in and just wants to have a chance to talk with you. Now, unfortunately, like people have to be a little, oh, I wonder what's going on here. And that's a great thing to bring up too. It's like the crowd that I'm familiar with that likes metal or any kind of outsider music. So punk rock, blues, even those are very introverted, caring, loving, creative, thoughtful people. I mean, very thoughtful. So any stereotype or moniker, a metal fan like should be immediately put down. You know, they're, they're just the kids on the fringe, really, I like to say. It's a strange situation when it comes to being around a lot of people, you know. Okay, so uh, here, here's a for instance. Like three years ago, I was at a festival and someone said, you know, hey, we're for this magazine or whatever, will you take a microphone and go out and talk to people? And I said, there's 130,000 people at this festival in Europe. And you want me to go out in the crowd, which I do anyways sometimes uh, with an assistant or with someone. And we go, I just go walking around and I go buy stuff or whatever, you know, talk to people. If I can get myself in that kind of a, a thought pattern. And I grabbed a microphone and I went out for like an hour and was talking with people surrounded by, you know, 100,000 kids. And all I kept thinking to myself at that point too was like everybody in this conversation with me, everybody that's approaching me is so thoughtful and so cool. 
and so respectful, but still I felt myself like, okay, when is this going to be over? I was enjoying it, but I was still like, okay, when is this going to be over? I got to, I got to retreat from this situation before the, the drunk sweaty fan runs up and just like, Oh, and just hugs you or whatever, you know, that gets in your personal space that may like be actually be may offensive, you know, at that point. But you make a great point about metal fans for sure. And I'll go on record as saying, you know, the most thoughtful, caring, loving people, a lot of them very introverted that I've come across for real. Yeah. And it's one of these things where somehow if you're somebody who struggles, I mean, think, think about what we're talking about here. Like you've obviously thought about this. You're, you're considering it, you're working with it, you're writing about it. And somehow when people are willing to do that, they're then like saddled with, oh, it's, you know, you're bringing the volatility in. It's like, no, 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 you know, like, like when, like, I remember when you saw like Quincy, when they did that hardcore episode way back in the day, you know, or like, you know, I remember there was a Miami Vice where Don Johnson was talking to the punk guy and was like giving him an Eric Clapton tape. It was like, you know, listen to this and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's as if the people who are witnessing and who are really wrestling with the, the issues are then blamed for it. I mean, like that, that, you know, Black Sabbath, did we listen to War Pigs? We didn't listen to War Pigs. And they were probably like tagged for being like, oh, this is a, a dark and violent song. It's like, you didn't listen to it, you know? And that's, that's what it feels like happens so much with people in metal or punk crowds. It's like, it's because if you're grappling with this, then someone steps back and says, oh, it, it's your fault. You know, you're the one who's volatile. It's like, nah, thinking about volatility doesn't make you volatile. I you think know? what's important to note is underground art. So blues, punk rock, jazz, metal, you know, underground goth that's real art man they don't say if i paint with red paint i'm gonna sell a million paintings they actually say and a guy like me who's got a middle finger a mile long goes i can paint with red paint i can sell a million paintings i'm gonna paint with blue and orange paint and i think that's what underground art does so of course you're going to try to saddle people with those kind of things right because you're going to look at this because they're not one of me that's always been the thing, you know, oh, you're a metal guy. Or you're not one of me. Well, what's one of you? Like, what do you listen to? Sappy 70s? Or like, where are you at? You know, oh, I'm, oh, here's the one too. Oh, I'm not really a music person. Oh, well, we got nothing in common. I'll walk right away. I'll walk right away and go get a Coca-Cola and walk right away, you know, because I got nothing in common with you. Yeah. And it's, I think it gets into some of this other stuff that you've been talking about, about questioning everything. And it's like, you know, you started the conversation with this like herd mentality and it's like, man, when did questioning things become a problem? You know, like, that's what I always say, like with couples, you know, whenever I'm working with couples, when bringing up a problem is in and of itself an offense, you're already gone. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on that, man. I don't know. Look, I got three sons uh, in their 20s. One that's uh, my youngest is 22. And I raised them with a huge sticker on my refrigerator that said, question everything. And I put it eye level to them as they grew up. So as they were short stacks, five, six, seven years old, it was like eye level to them. And I told them like, you know, question everybody, you know, you know, you know, the cop that was at the house, it's a good friend of mine. We're all barbecuing. I had two cops over there. Question them. You know, those bikers that came over, you know, I had four or five bikers over Sunday. We were cooking, we were talking, you know, when I used to drink and we were drinking. Yeah. Question them. Well, why, Dad? Question everybody. Question everybody's fucking motives. Question their motives. I've always been that guy, and I've always raised them like that. Now I've raised three great men that are doing great in the world because they'll look at you side-eye after a 10-minute conversation, and they'll know 
that's your conversation. You're trying to pull something on them. You're trying to get something on them. You're trying to gain something on them, you know, and they'll be able to suss out the true people or not. Question everything. Question it all. Question your government. Question the guy next door. Question. Question why he left his house at 3 a.m. and came back at 4 a.m. Question. Questioned it all. I raised my children like that. Well, you know, one of the things that I'll talk with people about is everyone, you know, I feel like there's this like tyranny of optimism and positivity and, and it's like, I, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not like that. Like, and so people come in and be like, I want to be more optimistic. I was like, there's nothing wrong with being pessimistic. There's nothing wrong with questioning and saying like, look, I'm operating under the assumption that you have a motive here. It's as long as, as you put your model of human behavior into functional action. You know, so if you're, if you're operating on the assumption, like, look, I feel like everyone has an agenda. That's fine. Like, and then it's like, I just want to know what yours is so I can, I can like sort of adjust accordingly. Right. Know? I've never really like, like, a, you know, this, we all grew up with this, you know, assuming is making an ass out of you and me. Right. So the assumption factor, like we never really put that in. And what I'm saying is don't even like, don't, don't have assumptions. Just, just take a look at dialogue. Take a look at body movement body mannerism just take a look at people for what they are that's all you'll know if someone's trying to take you around the corner and stab you or take you to the bank and give you a million dollars within a minute and a half of conversation i just just question everything and especially right now with what we're going through in our nation in our world not only with violence but with the pandemic but with with all of this we need to start questioning every single thing in order to come to a conclusion it's the only way to think is critical thinking that's it and you know I mean, if you do a lot of therapy, you know, I, I went to a lot of therapy when I was a kid, right? I had a stepfather commit suicide and I, and I went, that's all right, man. I, thank you. And I, and I went to a lot of therapy uh, when I was a kid. So I know how therapists work too. And they, they, and you're one of them, you know how to bait and that's good. You can bait people into bringing out what they may have never even had within themselves, which, which I, th I think is a, a great thing that you're doing, right? Because if you can help a couple stay together or, or help a kid fucking not commit suicide or this is a great thing that you do, right? I think music does the same thing. Like when I say music saved me when I was a kid, I literally fucking mean if I didn't have Black Flag, if I didn't have punk rock, if I didn't have goth, if I didn't have these bands that I listened to, I don't even know what I would have done in my room. See what I'm saying? So music can save people as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this conversation's all over the place, but... Um, Absolutely not, man, because it's... And this gets to the point. It's like, and you know, people will say volatility, but when is that dynamic? But thinking about the difference between volatile and dynamic, somebody who's like high energy and always questioning things and never really feels settled. Right. But it's, it's a tough thing because it's, sometimes it's hard to be that dynamic person. You know, the world doesn't always treat dynamic people very well. So true, right? And so I suffer from ADHD. I was on Ritalin for years, or ADD, and then now ADHD. I was on Ritalin for years. I'm very high energy. I'm up at 5 a.m. I go to bed at midnight. I run five businesses. I'm constantly going. I'm constantly on the phone. I'm constantly high energy. And for some people, that can be too much. And for other people, they gravitate to me like a light because they see like they see passion. But let's go back to what you were saying about optimism or pessimism, glass half full, glass half empty. First of all, if you wake up every day and you take a breath, just one, and you get up, you take a piss, you get a glass of water and you get food, your glass should be half full. You should start right there. Glass half full. Okay, now what? How do I better my life? How do I better the people's lives around me? Now, after that, 
if once you better the people's lives around you, you better your life. Now, after that, you can do things like, uh, for instance, I'm a Freemason, right? So I do a lot of charity work. And I did a lot of charity work for the Navajo, uh, the Window Rock Navajo Nation. And actually, actually, I am Navajo via Shaman now because of that that work that we've done with the elementary kids and getting money to those schools and this and that. Now you can start helping other people. So now what are we here for? We're here to benefit ourselves and our lives and then the people around us. Because obviously, you know, if you, if you don't have your life in order, you can't help anybody up. Forget it. And now after that, are you going to just stay maintained in that little family microcosm or are you going to jump out and are you going to help other people? Now, when you're on your deathbed, when you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 90, 110, whatever it is, are you going to be able to close your eyes and go, I helped humanity? Yeah, that's, that's another whole game changer in the whole spectrum of life and what we're all doing here, right? Like, are we here to just be these, you know, look at my diamond chains and look at my, well, don't get me wrong. I like a good gold chain, right? You know, and I like, I like nice cars and nice house. And I like all that. I work very hard for that. But is that what we're here for? No, we're not. We're actually here to lift up the other people around us. We're actually here to lift up other people outside of our microcosm. And that's where we have to go into pessimism and optimism. You got to wake up every day and be like, I took a breath. I ate. So I'm optimistic that I'm not going to be pessimistic today about life. And then you go, you go to the bank, they won't let you in because of such and such, they got something going on, and you're like, fuck, now I'm pessimistic about the day. So you got to go back to where you were in the beginning of the day. I took a breath, I got some food, right? And these are simple little things. Like, I'm not a therapist, but I've been to enough therapists that I'd love to sit in on a counseling session for a couple because I would start the dialogue just like this. They're coming to you because they've been like, fuck you, I want a divorce. First thing I would say to them is this, do you like each other? The first person that responds, no, I don't like him. I say, cool, we're done here. I don't even want my money. And you're done. And you know what? You're done here. Because nothing I'm going to say to you, nothing I'm going to bring out of you is going to recap that statement that you just made in front of your husband and in front of me. Nothing. Forget about it. That's the Italian to me. Sorry, forget about it. So I'd love, I'd love to like sit in because I would just be like, okay, cool. You like him? What do you like about him? And I think we all need to be that in life right now. So anyways, go back to agoraphobia. I'm learning to try to like things about people. So I'm trying to put myself in positions like with my personal positivity posts on Instagram or meet and greets. I'm trying to figure that out about me and trying to, oh, I'm trying to break through that. Will I ever? Probably not, but that's okay. I'm getting as far as I can. Pessimism and optimism, I'm a very much an optimist. Even when I was telling people January 3rd, my parents actually, and my brothers and sisters, get ready, going to get the whole country locked down. Everyone's going to be locked down. Jobs are going to quit. People are going to be kept out of school. They all went, you're insane. What are you smoking? All of them. And I go, well, was that pessimism? Was that optimism? That was actually optimism. That was actually me going, hey, let me forewarn you on something because I've got two years of food. I've got two years of dog food. I've got guns and ammo. I've got cameras out front of my house. Like, I'm ready for whatever's coming. Are you? That's optimism, not pessimism, but it would be looked upon as somebody on the outside is pessimistic. Dude, you're so pessimistic. You're saying society's going to crumble. I'm saying, no, man, I'm telling you what the facts are, and I'm being optimistic about what we can all do together if we prepare for this. Right. Yeah. See, like, but when I hear it, I think there's a second sort of uh, plane that it's on, which is that, you know, the pessimism and optimism is just like, all right, like, do I tend to hone in on expecting 
you know, do I, do I tend to notice things that are a little bit more negative or a little bit positive? Okay, so there's that. So in this case, okay, you're noticing things like, hey, I think things are going to go south. But the, but the important thing is that you're a proactive pessimist. You're a functioning pessimist. You're a purposeful pessimist. That's amazing. A purposeful pessimist. Well, because, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, think about it. Like, it's I a love US- it. You let, yeah, you ask any of the, the people who are on, on Wall Street and they say, like, is the market up or down? They don't, they don't, they, they just want to, as like, what matters to them is that they have a sense of what it's going to be. You okay, know what so I that's, mean? That's, that's perfect, right? Because I'm a, I'm a day trader and I make a lot of money day trading. And you cannot be a pessimist day trading. You have to be an optimist because when you see that red going down and it's lost $9 today and you go jump in, with 100 or 200 and 400 grand at a time on Boeing or whatever on a stock, you better be an optimist, right? You also have to have some information backing you or you're going to end up broke, but you have to be an optimist. So the Wall Street thing is a really, a really great analogy on your part. And actually, this has been my favorite interview of the whole album cycle. <laughs> so, so nice, far, you know, I appreciate yeah, that. So well, I'd rather get deeper than like, so, you know, tell me, tell me what you do on a daily basis. You know, tell me about your songs. It's like, dude, please, like, look at all that's going on in the world. Like, can we have some real conversations? Like, first of all, I'm telling you, this is the first record I've ever done in my entire life in almost 28 years that I'm telling people what the songs are about ever. I'm always like, hey, you want to know what a song is about? Whatever it means to you, hold on to that. Keep that in your heart, right? But I'm telling you what the songs are about, and they're all about dealing with demons, my own and life's ills that are causing demons, right? So that's another thing about underground art that I'll just throw in here right now is I think it's honest. It's so honest, punk rock and metal and blues, and like it's the most honest art form there possibly is. I mean, sometimes the way I look at it is this, is that like, when I think of what's the function of our underground art versus pop music, you know, the, the function of pop music to a certain degree, and, and, and my, my opinion changed on this a little bit when I listened to some of the, the old school hip hop people talk about the function of hip hop back in the day, which was ah. that entertaining someone, entertaining someone and taking them away from what's going on in their life has right. a value in the right context. Saying you make a very valid point. Like, you know, a lot of music is there to take you away, and that's totally true. I mean, you know, even metal is there to take you away. And people say, like, oh, these are aggressive people, they're dangerous. But no, they're actually because they get to go to a metal show and go into a pit where, like, you know, it, it could be life or death on some some bands. I think that gets it out of them and they're not gonna take that into society. You well, know, that, they get that outlet. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is like I, and this is me personally. For other people, it's different. But for me personally, I always enjoyed those other forms, but I needed the darker, more intense stuff. I just, I, I, it's like, it's a difference between like, lo, like I love, there's so much pop or other type of music that I love, but I don't need it in, no, in the who, way who, that who, I need who's, the who's gnarlier, like who's gnarlier, like the, the kid who goes to, you know, Devil Driver show and goes in a, in a pit with 1,500 kids swinging their arms or like the guy who listens to Garth Brooks and jumps out of airplanes twice a month, you know, he's a parachuter, whatever, you know. Or, you know what I mean? Like, who's crazier? Like, who feels more, you know, I think, I don't know, I, I digress. This, this conversation's all over the place, but I'm enjoying it. I, and I think, I think the, the fact is this, right? M- music saves lives, right? And we were talking about psychiatry and going back to that, like what you do, actually, it must be pretty intense, you know? Well, I mean, one of the things on that point, I mean, the reason why I talk to people who 
who do great art. So in, in terms of our podcast, like the way I always say it to people is like, look, if you're doing great art or if you're doing something really innovative in business or you're doing some kind of great athletic achievement, I know that I want to talk to you because I know that there's something I'm going to learn from you, right? And I think that one of the things that's, that's very tough about doing the work that I do, which is where somebody like yourself becomes very relevant, is that it's like you said about with your kids, you can't fake not getting this stuff. And people can sniff that out in a second. And so it's the, one of the toughest things is when I was first starting to practice, I tried to, to, for lack of a better saying, this was like really when I was young and in grad school, like trying to be something that I wasn't, which was having all everything together. And I found that the more that I just let myself be me, like, you know, like I've experienced panic. I've drank too much. Like I've kind of felt hopeless and wondering what was going to happen in my life, all those different things. And bringing it into a session, not like intentionally, but just in terms of who I am, that allows me to connect with people more. And I think- Well, good, man. Good, man. Because if you had none of those experiences, you wouldn't be worth shit behind the board. But see, that's why people like yourself, and this is what I, one of the reasons also why I do the podcast, I want to explain to people. It's like the reason why someone like yourself, especially sharing your story matters is because like when you've done something artistically that matters to people, they know that there's, it's that, it's kind of like that therapeutic bond. You know, it's that alliance. That's the thing that predicts how treatments go generally. And you have that alliance with your, with your fans. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's like, you get me, you know, like there's somebody, somebody's sitting there being like, I'm the weird kid. I'm the volatile kid. Like nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. I'm going to put on a devil driver record. And I know that there's just at least someone out there who gets it. That's oh, well, he, and that's, that, that's going that to get them through. Yeah, that kid, if they're familiar with me, knows I get them, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I've, I've been through it all. And the thing is with underground music, you can't fake that. And that's no, probably, and, and, I, and, I, that's, I would, and that's what's important. Yeah, and I would imagine in your profession, you can't fake it either. Like you said, though, coming out of grad school and in the beginning, you probably tried to, but it's best for you to, uh, in your profession, in my opinion, and like I didn't go to school for what you did, but I would say to people when they come in, look, I've been through this, I've been through that, I've been here, I've been there. This is why I, I can relate to your situation. Because if you didn't have all that stuff go down in your, head, in your life, you wouldn't be shit behind the couch. You really wouldn't, right? I left home at an early age and was sleeping under fucking bridges. I went to jail. I had suicide. I had this and that. That's why I can relate to you. Well, dude, listen, I, I, I'm looking at our time. I got to be respectful of your time. I cannot tell you how fun this was, man. This was awesome. I hope we have another chance to talk at some point. Yeah, no worries, man. No worries. And, and I'm here, whatever you want to discuss. I mean, it's been interesting. Like I said this morning, I was, my second cup of coffee is like, really? Psychiatrist. All right, let's, let's go. Because I need to know how the hell you do your job. And I think I have a little more insight on the fact that, you know, you just love what you do. But it's got to be hard at times. And you know what? I think it's the same thing with everything. Uh, you know, everything. I was a bricklayer before I did what I did, right? So some days were amazing and I was drinking beers at 3.30 in the afternoon and going home feeling like magic. And other days were fucking terrible, you know? And I had trowels thrown at me and maybe a fist fight with a biker or some shit, you know, when I was younger. So it's just interesting to me to get more in your head. And I'd rather do, you know, if we do another one, like let's do one where I come with questions for you because- Oh, I, that would be I, awesome. Because I have a lot of them, my man. I have a <laughs> lot of them. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, listen, best of luck and take care of them, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Have a good day, brother. So there you have it. Des Fafara of Devil Driver talking about the concept of volatility and how it manifests in his life. Des talked about struggling with agoraphobia and ADHD. 
And by being open to and accepting of his volatility, he not only better manages these conditions, but also used his own volatility as a dynamic and productive force in his personal and professional life. I think one takeaway is that if we are dealing with a physical or mental health issue, it is okay to take care of ourselves and do what we need to do in order to manage our issues. So Des accepted his volatility as something that contributed to anxiety. But in doing so, he was able to be kind to himself and limit the types of interactions he didn't want. Lots of small talk with lots of people that made him uncomfortable. And that actually freed him up to work towards more energized, dynamic, and meaningful conversations with fewer people. He also allowed his volatility to express itself in pushing him in his business and in his music. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for producing this podcast, and my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you heard on the podcast, subscribe on your favorite app, give us a rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism therapy and coaching program at hardcorehumanism.com. So get at it, Hardcore Humans. See you next time.